RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Thursday morning, as always, is Perigo's Perspective Morning here at RCR. Lindsay joins me again. Morning, Lindsay. Good morning, Paul. From the river to the sea. Oh, as you can imagine, I have something to say about that. You know, uh, a pleasant surprise, though, through all of this was Christopher Luxon actually standing up for Israel's right to defend itself and condemning both the barbarity of the Hamas attack and the attack itself. I thought (laughs) I saw there from Christopher Luxon sort of intimations of a suggestion of a glimpse of a glimmering of a backbone. Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, you have to kind of look hard, though, by the way you put that. Oh, yes. Yes, there's a long way to go. <laughs> All right. Well, um, let's uh, let's not hold you up. Um, the floor is yours. Let's go. The pro-Hamas marches over the weekend were sickening. Somehow, hundreds of thousands of Hamas brown shirts all over the Western world came out of nowhere to shriek support for the worst act of genocide since the Holocaust. Support for sub-savages who behead babies and burn them in ovens. Hamas's charter calls for relentless jihad and the elimination of Israel. The preamble to the 1988 charter stated, Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam invalidates it, just as it invalidated others before it. After the slaughter of October 7, 2023, Israel now seeks justly to eliminate Hamas. Israel is getting the job done. That's why the mobs were demanding an immediate ceasefire. The baby beheaders were on the run. The mobs wanted to give them time to regroup. This may not sound as bad as outright demanding the gassing of Jews, such as we heard elsewhere on the globe, but the end is the same. From the river to the sea means no Israel. Supposedly, the protests here were organized by a group called Justice for Palestine, in a singular example of loathsome hypocrisy and Orwellian virtue signaling, Justice for Palestine's website says, all forms of racism and discrimination are the antithesis of justice, peace, and freedom. Justice for Palestine events and social media will not tolerate any act or discourse which adopts or promotes, among others, racism, anti-Arab racism, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, sexism, xenophobia, or homophobia. (laughs) I wonder if they've communicated any of that to Hamas or Hezbollah or the Ayatollah, especially the bits about genocide, sexism, and homophobia. Have they tried enlisting with Hamas wearing rainbow T-shirts? Green Party MP Golriz Garraman said, Right now, Gaza is living under a situation of ethnic cleansing, so it is unconscionable for us to remain silent. 
Israel is not engaged in ethnic cleansing. It is engaged in self-defense, retaliatory force against those who initiated it. But I have a question for Golrez. October the 7th was not ethnic cleansing. What Chloe Swarbrick was shrieking for is not ethnic cleansing. Auckland Central voted for that? I'll bet, dear listener, you had no idea so many Aucklanders had such an interest in the Middle East. Well-funded, too, this version of the zombie apocalypse. Funny, that. It was gratifying and edifying to learn that arch-influencer Elon Musk has tumbled to what's going down in the world. Here he is telling Joe Rogan why he bought Twitter. I mean, this is going to sound uh, somewhat melodramatic, but I was worried about that, that it was having a corrosive effect on civilization, uh, that it was uh, just having a bad, a bad impact. Um, and um, I think part of it is that it, it's where... It's where it was located, which is uh, you know downtown San Francisco. Um, and while I, I think San Francisco is a beautiful city, and and we should really fight hard to um, kind of right the ship of San Francisco. If you've walked around downtown San Francisco, right near the ex FKA Twitter headquarters, it's a zombie apocalypse. I mean, it's rough. Have you have you been been in that area? Not lately. No, yeah. I've heard. It's crazy. I've heard it's crazy. I've heard you you really can't believe it until you actually go there. You can't believe it until you go there. So now you have to say, well, what philosophy led to that outcome? And that philosophy was being piped to earth. So, um, you know, a philosophy that would be ordinarily quite niche and geographically constrained so that that sort of the fallout uh, area would be limited um, was effectively given an information a weapon. Um, a tech, uh, information technology weapon to propagate uh, what is essentially a mind virus to the rest of Earth. Um, and the outcome of that mind virus is very clear if you walk around the streets of downtown San Francisco. It is the end of civilization. A zombie apocalypse, a mind virus that is killing civilization. Who could possibly be helping to fund such a thing? Elon didn't hold back on one possibility. One often hears of the sort of George Soros boogeyman. But, I mean, Soros actually, you know, it, he, he is, I believe, the top contributor to the Democratic Party. Um, the second one was uh, Sam, Sam Bankman-Fried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and Soros, I don't know. I mean, he had a very difficult upbringing. Um, and uh, I, in my opinion, he fundamentally hates humanity. That's my opinion. Really? Yeah. I mean, well, he's doing things that erode the fabric of civilization. You know, uh, getting DAs elected who refuse to prosecute crime. That's part of the problem in San Francisco and L.A. and a bunch of other cities. So why would you do that? Was it humanity or is it just the United States as a whole? I mean, I mean he he's pushing things places? in other countries too. He's doing the same here. thing? Yeah. Now, George at this point is pretty old. I mean, he's not, uh, you know, basically a bit senile at this point. But, I mean, he, 
he and, and he's he, he's a, he's very smart. Um, and he's very good at arbitrage. You know, famously he uh, shorted the British pound. That's sort of how uh, I think he made his first uh, money was shorting the pound. Um, so he's, he's good at spotting, uh, basically arbitrage, like spotting value for money that other people don't see. So uh, one of the things he noticed was that in it, it, that that the value for money in local races is much higher than it is in national races. So the lowest value for money is a presidential race. Then next lowest value for money is a Senate race, then a Congress, and then. But once you get to sort of city and state district attorneys, um, the value for money is extremely good. And uh, Soros realized that you don't actually need to change the laws; you just need to change how they're enforced. If nobody chooses to enforce the law, or the laws are differentially enforced, it's like changing the laws. That's what he. That's what he figured out. But is what's it's stunning that this trend that people haven't pulled the brakes on this and have it reverse course. I'm pulling the brakes. Yeah. Yeah. Pulling the brakes right now. Yeah, you are. But you might be the only one. Well, I think more people should. Um, most people just don't want to rock the boat. Um, most people are looking for acceptance from society, and they, they're, you know, if there's some negative press article, they're like shattered. Well, I couldn't give it down. Right. Go Good. ahead, make my day. <laughs> Non-enforcement of the law as a way to destroy the law sound familiar? Elon Musk refers to Soros's difficult childhood. In fact, Soros says it was one of the happiest times of his life. That's when, as a 14-year-old, he helped Nazi occupiers locate his Hungarian fellow Jews so their property could be confiscated and they be sent off to the death camps. He was asked about this in 1998. You're a Hungarian Jew mm -hmm. who escaped the Holocaust mm -hmm. by posing as a, a Christian. Right. And you watched lots of people get shipped off to the death camps. Right. I was 14 years old. And I would say that that's when my character was made. In what way? that one should think ahead, one should understand and, and anticipate events, uh, and uh, one, one is threatened. It was a tremendous threat of evil. I mean, it was a, a very personal experience of evil. My understanding is, is that you went out with this protector of yours who swore that you were uh, his adopted godson. Yes, yes. Went out, in fact, and helped in the confiscation of property from the Jews. That's right. I mean, that's, that sounds uh, like an experience that would send lots of people to the psychiatric couch for many, many years. Was it difficult? Uh, uh, not, not, not at all. Not at all. It, uh, maybe as a child, you don't, you don't see the connection. Uh, but it, was, it created no, no problem at all. No feeling of guilt? No. For example, that uh, I'm Jewish... Uh, and here I am watching these people go, I could just as easily be there. I should be there. None of that. Well, uh, of course, I, uh, I could be on the other side, or I could be the one from whom it, the thing is being taken away. Uh, um, but there was no sense that I shouldn't be there, because uh, that was... Uh, uh, 
uh, well, actually, funny way, it's just like in markets that if I weren't there, of course I wasn't doing it, but somebody else would, would, would be taking it away anyhow. In other words, the, whether I was there or not, I was only a spectator, the property was being taken away. So I had no role in taking away that property. So I had no sense of guilt.
Brennan, Reality Check Radio.